So, Ken. <laughs> well, I, what do you want? I, I'm in a sub 40 person company. We do things however the f we want. And I find that concept really interesting because there's the, the point where you don't have a dedicated team, you know, dedicated to standing up your Borg and Kubernetes clusters. But some of the underlying methodologies that Google has written about are still really useful, even to small teams. And it's, you know, picking apart where you spend your time. Hey, that's well, the topic of this episode. Exactly. And, and I mean, that's, that's, that yeah. was the conversation I had with the, the guy under me this week was, you know, we ran into a problem and I was like, yeah, it's a bad way of doing it. Here's the proper way, which we can't do. We don't have the time and the resources to do it this way. Basically, he spent days chasing a problem where things built fine in one place and they failed in another until we finally noticed that, hey, they were using latest. And because of quirks on where they were, the two places were getting two different versions. I hate latest so much. Which is exactly the conversation we had. And he gets that. Welcome to the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brenda Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. And I'm Jack Neely. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about code freezes and human scaling. Are you interested in promoting practical experience in the operations, DevOps, and SRE spaces? Consider sponsoring the Practical Operations Podcast. Contact us at sponsor at operations.fm for details. So obviously, having enough people on your team is critical to getting things done. But what do you do when you don't have enough? This happens at big companies, this happens at small companies, whatever your team is, whatever, however you define that, that unit in your organization. Do you ever have enough? How do you choose? Well, there is that. <laughs> um, Ken, we were talking before we recorded. and yeah, I'll, I can't say that I've ever had enough. <laughs> but to say that, yeah. Um, how do you choose? So a number of years ago, I was working with Jack at an organization, a, a large organization that was run by a state government. And budget cuts kept on coming in and people cuts kept on coming in. And at one point we turned to management and we said, what do you want to not do? And they kind of looked at us and we said, look, we're losing people through you know budget cuts so frequently. We can't keep the lights on even at you know 60% what do we stop doing? Like, what, what do we turn off? Because we don't have the people anymore to keep these things going. And they're like, but we have to do all of it. And it's like, yeah, but we don't, we no longer have the warm bodies enough just to keep the, like the minimum viable version of that service. So what do we stop doing? I remember looking at the server budget for those years and we, this number of servers that we could have bought that year were maybe two or three. And we would have hit, our budget that we have been granted and none of the services we were responsible for could we run on two or three servers, you know, much less deploy something new. Yeah. I, I currently am working at an organization that went through a contraction and our staff is less than 50% of what it used to be. And we have had that discussion with our management of, you know, you, you I know you have plans, um, but there's just, X number of people, we can't do it. Um, luckily, upper management has understood that and has kept the wolves at bay, and we're fixing and riding the ship due to the, what caused the contraction while 
new projects are held at bay. But holy crap. I mean, it's such an unpleasant conversation of we can't do that. Well, we need it. Well, then cut something else. Yeah, or it's the, well, I know that we shouldn't use latest. We shouldn't use whatever. We shouldn't do it this way. We shouldn't have that dirty hack, but we don't have a choice. Yeah. So I guess we're going to do it the bad way. And I always hate that, that feeling as an engineer, like, oh, no. But sometimes you have to. And that's a conversation we've had a number of times of late. And it's, you know, yeah, here's the proper way. We can't do that. So we're going to have to figure out another way. Make sure we don't paint ourselves into a corner. You know, do it in a way that can be fixed easily later when we have the team, when we have the money, when we have whatever. You know, don't make it so bad you can't fix it. However, you don't have the resources to do it the proper way. You're going to have to do a hack. And as dirty as they feel sometimes, and God, sometimes they feel dirty. There's also, you know, it's not an ivory tower. You've got to have things done. You have to keep the lights on. You have to keep things moving. You do them. Ah, technical debt. And that is really the goal I keep talking about is let's avoid making more. Minimize it as much as possible. And the question I had is, is when you're in this situation, it's, it's one thing to kind of plan around, you know, what technical debt do you assume? How do you cheat here while still providing this other service and, you know, and trying not to make things worse in the long term? But in those same situations, you also don't have enough, you know, man hours to write good documentation and record. You know, we made these decisions. We took this shortcut for these reasons. This is what we want to do in the future. And that would be really useful, you know, six months, 18 months down the road when you have a couple extra folks on staff and you just start paying down some of that technical debt. Yeah, you can tell the new engineers, it's like, okay. The, the best way to learn the system is to dig into the system. And here's a bunch of places where we knew we were making a suboptimal choice and we put a quick thing in. Take a look at it and see if why we made the decision makes sense and propose a solution out of it. So you're not just getting the, the junk work, the kind of like, oh, well, that's stuff we didn't want to do. It's like, no, we wanted to do it. We just couldn't. And now that we have more staff, here are those pieces. Yeah, it we're bringing somebody up to speed now. And that's kind of what I've done as a, you know, get a grip on our environment is here's a place where it's some technical debt that we can't focus on. Start fixing it. And that's how you're going to learn things. The other is, as you said, sometimes you can't do the documentation. I had one of my coworkers laughing going, I just was in some of your code and it says, this should be a secret, but I don't have time. Fix later. <laughs> and I just want to say that I'm dealing with similar crap right now. Yeah. Hey, what's this the secret doing in the oh crap. And it honestly was, hey, there's a deadline and you're cutting corners someplace. Here it is. In a similar vein, I'm onboarding a new employee or someone who's not new to the organization but is new to our team and 
one of the things that we're like, okay, well, this is a good place to start would be helping us move our documentation from the old repo of documentation to the new repo of documentation. And it's boring and it's tedious, but she's doing a really amazing job of like picking through stuff and going, um, this doesn't sound right. And it was last updated three years ago. Is this actually how things are? We're like, oh, yeah. Actually, that wiki page sorry. is more than six months old. It's probably wrong. Yeah. I hate that but saying. What's but even it's worse true. is when it's. Yeah. But it's worse when it's correct still. And there's a to do on it of like, you know, fix the system or we shouldn't be doing it this way, but we had to at the moment. And that's a three year old page. And you're going, yeah, I know, I know, I know. We're. It's on the list. I've gotten really good at having a thick skin on those because you, there's only so many hours in the day and you, you need to keep the lights on. And I, I know you guys work at large organizations. I don't. It's, you know, not doing something has profound impact sometimes. And, man, it, sometimes there are tough calls on is this worth it or not. So our team is nominally supposed to be seven people. Most of this year, it was two. Yeah. And, you know, the services and stuff that we were running were sized out for when you had seven people. And for most of the calendar year, we were two people running the team for various reasons that are not important to go into here. But especially in times like that, you're fixing things, you're, you're working on things, you're trying to make things function so the rest of the organization can consume the, the services that you provide. That's when you, you make the worst technical debt at that point because you can't turn off the build system for an organization. You can't just say, oh, well, I guess we're just not doing Jenkins this year. Yep. No, you, you kind of got to keep that going and everything else we were doing. And it's hard. Like, that, that balance of, I know that what I'm doing is actively making things worse, worse for future me but it's how we keep things moving right now. Our GitLab installation is the bane of my existence. And I know what to do. I just don't have time for it. And there are other things that need more attention. And so it's just there. And it needs constant care and feeding. And it's annoying as hell. But there are more important things. And that's the key is, is prioritizing. I mean, it, you really have to, it, and unfortunately, it's not just prioritizing your own internal activities. It's what is, what am I going to do that's going to have what impact outside my organization? Because when you're that short, you have to, you know, okay, I know I want this and it would make my life easier. However, everybody's relying on this, on B, and as much as I'd like to fix A, B is more important to the greater organization. I got to do it. And yep. It also reminds me of, I think it's Hiram's law about any observable aspect of a system will be depended on by somebody. <laughs> like bugs and all. And it, I know as I'm making those decisions, it's like people are going to rely on it working this way. And yeah, I, okay. Yeah. We have, we have actually had, um, doing fi financial models for the traders. Oh, well this, we know there's a bug in this and they've accounted for the bug in a later step of the model. So you can't fix the bug. And it's just, you know, you sit there and just shake your head of, I have to leave a bug in 
because it's been the models actually accounting for it downstream. No, that's good technical debt. <laughs> okay, so I found it. Um, with a sufficient number of users of an API, it does not matter what you promise in a contract. All observable behaviors of your system will be depended on by somebody. Yep. It's like statistics, basic 101. <laughs> and then when you... But Ken, I was definitely going to agree with you about being able to prioritize when you're in a situation where everyone expects the world of you and or you're short-staffed. Uh, how do you, you know, lay out a plan that says, this is what we're going to focus on. These are where we're going to put the resources that we have. Yes, there are other things that are important, but that gets to be handled sometime that's not now, some part of a timeline. Yeah. And usually the situation that I've found myself in is, you know, everybody wants everything right now. And I'm like, I got three people on the team. We can do A, B, and C. We're in the process of this migration and that migration. Your solution's coming online next month. And that's not always the answer they want to hear. Yeah. We had, we're leaving our colo and provider. And we sat one day and figured out everything we have to do to, to achieve that. And it came out to be roughly five man years. And we had a team of three that needed to do it in four months. The math is not very pleasant there. See, you have snapshot that thing and, you know, upload it to the cloud. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that would work. <laughs> I wish. But it's, it, you know, and as I, now, in my current situation, luckily, upper management, we got buy-in. And they've been keeping new stuff away. Then we have a deadline when the floodgates will reopen. But for now, we get to focus on fixing and writing the ship, which has been fantastic. And we, honestly, the team has pulled together and worked well on it. But that's at awesome. At some point, the, the blockage is going to go and it's going to hurt. And I think what you're both saying is that management support in this is critical. And I completely agree with that. We have recently finished what a process I don't enjoy very much, but it's the writing up short project summaries for all the things that we want to do in the next calendar year. And then looking at like roughly estimating how much time is this going to take um, kind of over under by 25%. So if you say it's going to take me a quarter to work on this, that's fine. And if it takes three quarters, well, you've blown it. If you say it's going to take me two years and you, t and you only take a year to do it, you've blown it. But like if you're within a ballpark, you're fine. But you make that list and then you work out how many people you actually have and you draw a line. And you say, okay, well, everything above this line we can do. Everything management you want be that's below this line, you got to find us more people. Yeah. And remember that when you find like a new person, every new person doesn't start the quarter that they started. No, God, no. Like they start and then they have time to ramp up. Yep. And it's a it's an effective way of listing all the things you're trying to get done, prioritizing them in terms of like what's important to the organization, what's important to the bottom line, whatever it is. And then showing visually and saying, Hey, everything below this, we just can't do like, we're not even going to try to do it. If we happen to get lucky and get things done early, we can add like whatever's top below that line, but don't, don't consider it as a, a likely thing. 
and that has helped a lot, but it requires management buy-in first, and it requires engineers to be willing to write those project plans and to do a lot of that lifting that a lot of, especially developers um, or people who are not in the ops space and aren't as used to doing the larger scale planning things, are like, I don't really want to write project plans. I want to write code. Yeah. It's like, no, we all have to do this. We all I have wish to I could write pull together. But I'd give to just be writing code again. <laughs> yeah. It's the longer you're in this business and the more experience you have, the less code you write, unfortunately. Yeah. And that is Ditzendorf law. <laughs> Essentially. Um, but it's, but talking about all of this, one of the things, you know, like, Ken, you're dealing with a kind of like a long-term reduction in availability of people and how, how you scale for, for human availability. But what do you do for holidays, vacations? When you say, hey, I know in, in the Netherlands, you y'all take long summer vacations. I, when I, was, I worked in the Middle East for a bunch of years and people were just essentially gone in the summer. Yeah. And But also like Ramadan, when Ramadan kicked in and when I was living overseas, everybody went to about 40% output for a long period of the, like for about a month. How do you plan for that? Here it is the summer. Um, and surprisingly, not that much. I mean, in the States, you've got Thanksgiving and Christmas and everybody just writes off the time in between from Thanksgiving through the new year's, you know, you're not going to get much production. That's not the case here. I mean, it's, there's a little bit, a few people go visit some, but not the consistent, everybody's just gone for Christmas. I mean, we get Christmas and the, the two days off and most people are back. Um, so it's a little different. And of course I've only actually been through one year of that here. So my frame of reference is not statistically valid yet. Um, but you still have to plan and you know, daytime math is hard first of the year. Something's going to break. Always does. Yep. And you you do your best of, and this is where you have to rely on people that have been there. You know, what is the, what is the fragile stuff that doesn't like the first of the year? What is, you just have to look at the whole environment. What are you most concerned about? What is the most important thing? Um, we're a trading company. The trades have got to flow. The traders have to be able to make their nominations and, and make their trades. And that's, that's the most critical path. If some of the models aren't run, well, their trades may not be as good as they were, but we can still move forward. People start doing things manually. But nominations and, and actually making the trades is, is paramount. We don't have a product. That is our way, that is our income. It has to work. The perfect business model, one with no customers. You know, we had a vendor in who just, they kind of stared at us when they said something about, well, you know, we'll have to keep it up for your customers. We don't have any customers. And they just stared at us. <laughs> it took a second to grasp. Oh yeah, I guess you really don't. And I'm definitely in a situation where we've got the, the standard U.S. holidays. Folks are expecting the velocity to slow down. Releases have slowed down. Um, but there's also you know, lots of time for not just you know, me and, and my team doing observability work to kind of work on some projects and some things we want to push out since there's not a lot going on. But the engineers and developers are 
really in the same position, things have slowed down, they can focus in on some code bugs or you know, getting some technical debt cleared up. And what's going to break in January is the fact that there's going to be large code changes that start getting pushed around. Yeah, you have weeks and weeks of you know PRs and pull requests and whatever else they've been pending. And now they're all dumped in the system at the same time. Yeah, everybody, you have your code phrase and everybody sits on their stuff and then, hey, we're back. Can you, can you approve my PR? Then the three of us have worked for a large household tech company that will remain nameless. Um, and they had a lot of, a lot of importance were geared around specific days of sale. Like there were certain events during the year that they knew were coming beforehand and they would definitely clamp down on people merging code code changes, people making system design changes, people scaling anything down at all, just just to keep things flowing during these these kind of important event days. And it was nice they knew they were coming. It was nice that they could predict them and they could model kind of how much churn and flux they expected to see. And like if a particular API endpoint they expected to be hit more frequently was going to be hit, they could say, okay, we need to proactively scale up that particular service or stack or event system or whatever it was by n percent but it was super important that they were able to say no we're not changing things we're not going to let people come in here and just you know try experimental features or do things that should be fine no we're not doing anything and when i first heard about it i was like this is like a really big version of read-only friday which is something that i don't super love but i understand the necessity of um Actually, how do you two feel about read-only Fridays? I wish I could say that we adhere to that, but we don't. Um, we kind of loosely do. It's not a hard, fast rule, but if it's big, somebody will say, do we really want to do this on a Friday? But generally it's, yeah, we have to. <laughs> um, I'm generally in favor of the read-only Friday concept, um, as it, you know, especially impacts those of us that are on call and, you know, have to respond to things during off hours. I would much rather design and architect a system that will fail during business hours when the staff is, you know, in the office, so to speak, rather than have to deal with an after hours outage or problem. Yeah. Um, so if, you know, delaying changes or you know, working on documentation or working on non-production projects on Friday helps make the weekends, you know, more stable. I'm, I really like that idea. That said, I also find that concept to kind of be a, a bellwether of, of the maturity of the organization. And there are a lot of organizations out there that are too small or move too quickly or just aren't at the right place to be able to sort of focus Fridays in a read-only sort of way. Um, and to me, that's a real bellwether of, of the maturity level of the organization and how fine-tuned your DevOps SRE practices can be and what stability is like for the organization. So yeah, I, the read-only Friday concept to me is really interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I don't like the idea of making large changes on, you know, at 4.55 on a Friday afternoon. 
because that's how you guarantee that you're coming to work on Saturday morning or you're working all Friday night and you're not going to go see that movie or have dinner with your partner or whatever it is. But it is a telling sign of how healthy is your build system? How healthy is your whatever system that you can push code whenever you need to, whenever you want to, and not worry about adverse effect. Now, obviously, if you're rolling out an entirely new feature or an entirely new thing, yeah, you should probably schedule that and have everybody who needs to be on hand on hand and kind of review it and discuss it. But for smaller things, you should be able to just make changes. But I know that we're all very hesitant, especially as the the hours on the clock on Friday tick by, you're less and less willing to touch anything because I don't want to work tonight. I don't want to work tomorrow. I, it's my weekend. We don't because of the size of the organization, the culture and everything else. We don't have after hours. If it breaks middle of night Friday, somebody may You don't have it. customers. There, well, <laughs> we do trade on the weekends. So there's, there has to be a certain amount functional. Um, but that being said, techno- the technology staff doesn't work off hours. If it's busted Friday night, it gets fixed Monday. If That doesn't mean somebody may not see it and decide to work on it, but there's no, we have no SLA, SLA we have no obligation, which sounds nice. It just makes Mondays hell sometimes. Because it- When I was working overseas, one of the nearby universities, which will also remain nameless because reasons um they had no nobody was on campus after hours or weekends at all like no students no staff no faculty there was no on-campus housing it was just a university so apart from their like their email system and kind of that core networking stuff they just turned things off like at night and over the weekend like they turned off the networking in buildings because why would i leave it on and i'm like wow that's that's really a bold move for... That'll test your uh, router configurations. <laughs> I know. Oh, God, don't forget to save running config to startup. Well, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't the machine, machine room, and it wasn't like the, the core networking operations. But all of the, the ancillary <clears throat> stuff, like the Wi-Fi network, all of that stuff, just got turned off every weekend. If nobody's there needed, I guess. Makes sense. But Yeah, it's one way to keep people from like coming in over the weekend and doing stupid things, but... Like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's a bold strategy, Cotton. Yeah. I, I do like the idea of, you know, making sure people don't come in over the weekend and do something stupid. It just feels like a little bit much. Um, yeah, other reasons that companies will do kind of the these code freezes, either a holiday freeze or um, financial reports. Like a lot of companies are really sensitive to how the markets react when they announce earnings where they announce acquisitions or they announce other things. And so they'll go into both the press blackout, but also a code release blackout for a couple of days beforehand, especially startups when they're going to make their big launch announcements. They generally go into a, you really shouldn't be touching anything unless it is critical to the launch we're about to do. So stop messing with things unless, unless it's like, okay, really like we have a bug in the UI and it's not working kind of, kind of pieces. Don't um, touch that. Yeah. I've totally like, been in that situation a couple of times. And yeah, to 
to do everything you possibly can to minimize risk of any sort of outage on press release earnings report day. Because you don't want the, the analysts in the, the call to say, so uh, your service has been down for the last 36 hours. Uh, what's going on? Uh, that, that's not what you want enshrined in the, the quarterly financial statement call. Oh, fun times. So I'm sure there's things that I'm missing in terms of times you would want to either do a code freeze or other pieces, but I'm having trouble putting my finger on it. Well, sometimes if you're uh, doing a major update to one part of your infrastructure, you may say, we have to leave everything alone so there's not too many variables in flux. <laughs> Does anyone do that? I, I didn't say that it would happen. I just said you might want to. But yeah. I've been at several organizations that were either changing their payroll or changing their information systems, like their, the student information system at universities or other things from one backend to another. And it is a super tense time for everybody involved in those projects. So I could, I could see why they would really appreciate everybody else backing off a little bit and saying, Hey, we're taking this weekend for the conversion from whatever to whatever. Can y'all not like, can you just not do anything else this weekend, please? because yeah and i find those things really super hard to to collaborate and coordinate about because especially when you've got multiple teams they've all got their own set of goals and there's some understanding that new team a's goals will affect team b and team c but it's really hard to visualize you know when when all the goals start marching forward the work that gets generated on all sides of the fence and I've definitely been in some tough situations because we're all making changes. They were all planned, but how they they interacted, you know, across the board wasn't quite foreseen and caused definitely caused some hard times. Yeah, and your project plan or your manager's project plan didn't take into account the project plan of the other team, and they're not now they're now asking you to not make any changes. And it's like, yeah. yeah, but I have to make changes to be able to ship my feature in time. And now you have the coordination issues and you have to figure those pieces out. So suddenly one team's major upgrade is gating every other team's ability to do an upgrade. And then you say, well, and Thanksgiving's next week or, and you know, whichever holiday is next week. And so people aren't going to be here. So you get to wait until next month and everybody hates that. Yeah. And most of the places I've been, that has, that has never been a blocker, which sometimes just makes things worse. What, you don't like migrating the student information system the same night that the network team decides to update the router configs? That seems par for the course. <laughs> I think what all that says is teams got to communicate. And, well, that's not always the easiest thing. All our episodes boil down to, well, you know, we should communicate better. <laughs> it, it's amazing how that actually works out. How, how much... No, at be... channel, yo, I'm taking the network down. Enter. There you go. <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. It's at channel, taking the network down in five minutes. You give people a bit of a breather. <laughs> Remember to save your work. <laughs> Speak up now. We won't be able to hear you in a few minutes. Oh, I, I do miss when many, many, many moons ago, when the system administrator would issue a reboot and include a reboot message, 
to essentially tell all the people who are shelled into the mail server, like you've got five minutes to do whatever before we reboot it because there were two mail servers on campus and everybody logged into them directly to read their mail and that was it. Ah, good times. You mean... I miss much. Like even before, well, even before that there was wall. Yeah. Because everybody had a shell and you just say, wall, shutting down, rebooting. Well, I'm talking about when we had serial lines to the mail server. Yeah. Wired all over campus and you got on a terminal that was on a serial connection. Oh, uh, yeah. Back in the day. Back in the day. Been there, done that. Not that I'm dating myself. Still have the RS-232 adapters. <laughs> Still got the punch cards. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and coworkers. We would also appreciate folks taking the time to rate the show on Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave a comment on the website at operations.fm or send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. And I'm Jack Neely. Thanks, and good night. All right, Ken, did your recording work? God, I hope so. Because I didn't record the Zoom call. Jack? No, that's not good, Jack.